is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air! Deep to right! It is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly. I am Jeff Meller sitting in for Connor McKnight today. Connor will be on the call along with Darren Jackson for tonight's White Sox Detroit Tigers game at Guaranteed Rate Field. First pitch scheduled to come your way around 6:10 tonight. We will have your pregame coverage beginning at 5:30, where I will be with you for that, and of course the postgame as well. But again, Connor McKnight will be on the call along with Darren Jackson for tonight's. White Sox Detroit Tigers game. Sox fall to the Tigers yesterday, four to two. Tuki Toussaint had a decent outing, but of course, what has been a bit of his bugaboo for the most part is that generally, once you get through the second and third time in the order, we seem to be having issues getting through to that third time. Which, no fault of Tuki's, that is kind of the norm in baseball these days. So uh, Tuki Toussaint, I actually. If anything, I would say he's been one of the nicer revelations for the White Sox, a midseason addition uh, who was signed as a free agent when he was released and has really done a pretty nice job of giving the White Sox an alternative that they didn't really know they had. And I think he's somebody who's kind of showing he can certainly settle in as a nice in that opener role if needed next season and possibly as a long man out of the bullpen. So um, even though the White Sox don't get the win yesterday, they do continue to see Tuki Toussaint is somebody who could be an arm that they can certainly count on next season, if at all possible. Plenty to do on today's White Sox Weekly. If you did not know, the White Sox officially named Chris Getz the 13th general manager of the organization on Thursday. They had an introductory press conference. We will bring it to you in its entirety coming up here shortly. I'll let you hear from the man himself, who will be taking over the position, of course, after the White Sox let Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn go about a week or so ago, and of course, they officially then announced Chris Getz as the next general manager. He has a big undertaking, but he is very familiar with the organization that he's been in for the last seven years, and he will have an opportunity now to be the sole voice, as the White Sox noted in their release when they did officially relieve Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn of their duties. So Chris Getz will have the entire undertaking at his hands, and I know he's hoping to bring in some more people as well to be voices that he can bounce ideas off of, and we will see where the White Sox go from here. But there's a lot of good, interesting ideas coming from Chris, Chris Getz that I will let you hear, uh, again, in its entirety here momentarily. But um, before we get that, do want to get to today's game. If you are looking for something to do this Labor Day weekend today on Saturday, it is fabulous out there, nice and warm and toasty. Could be one of the uh, last great summer weekends for us out there, even though summer is coming to a close here. Uh, it is beautiful out today, uh, not really a cloud in the sky. It is fabulous, so I would say, encourage you, if you're looking for something to do ahead of this long, long Labor Day weekend, come on out and enjoy some great food and a festive atmosphere at the ballpark today because uh, we have uh, a little bit, possibly a little bit of history in the, uh, in the making. Miguel Cabrera, if you did not know, a couple of hits yesterday, moving into a tie with George Brett for 17th all-time um, amongst hits. So 3,154 for Miggy. Obviously, uh, a great career achievement. 
could very well be, you know, one of the last times you have an opportunity to see one of the all-time greats, Miguel Cabrera, at the age of 40, obviously, uh, playing out the final season of his career in all likelihood here. So uh, come on out and uh, see a possible all-time great add to his illustrious numbers. He did so last night with a couple of hits. You'll have an opportunity to see him as he is in the lineup for the Tigers today. So uh, an opportunity to see greatness in your own backyard if you are here looking for something to do at Guaranteed Rate Field. 312-332-3776 as well. That's the number if you want to jump on in and respond to anything you hear from Chris Getz. I will also let you hear from the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, who spoke. We'll do that a little bit later in the 4 o'clock hour. Um, but uh, if you missed it, Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf had lots to say about the tenure of Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. He noted how it was a difficult decision. He certainly thought that had they been given more time, he believes they could have turned this thing around. But, of course, it's been a very difficult season for Sox fans. And Jerry Reinsdorf, and he, he noted that it's been a tough one for him. Actually, one of the worst seasons, if not the worst season of his ownership tenure. So he is fully admitting that it was a, uh, you know, it's been a tough year for, for Sox fans and for him as well. And that is why he led, it led him to the conclusion that he needed to make the change as he did here recently and move to Chris Getz as the general manager here um, moving forward. So we'll, uh, we'll let you hear from Chris Getz here. I do want to say, though, uh, come on out to the ballpark on Tuesday, September 12th for Nurses Appreciation Night presented by San Xavier University. Specialty price tickets have been made available for all nurses and healthcare workers. The first 2,000 ticket purchases will receive a special edition Nurses Night hat. So come on out to Nurses Night to purchase your specially priced ticket. Visit whitesocks.com slash nurse. All right, so we're going to take a quick time out, and then when we come back, I will let you hear from the 13th manager in White Sox, 13th general manager in White Sox history, Chris Getz. We'll do that next right here on the ESPN 1000 High Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitch, ESPN 1000 Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 and the High Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. Connor's on the call along with Darren Jackson of White Sox and Tigers. First pitch coming your way today at 6-10 here at Guaranteed Rate Field. So as I mentioned at the outset here, the White Sox introduced the 13th man who will hold the title of general manager in their organization on Thursday, Chris Getz. And this is exactly what Chris Getz had to say. I want to begin thanking Jerry Reinsdorf for this tremendous opportunity to be the next general manager of the Chicago White Sox. This is a storied franchise, rich in tradition. It's an honor to play for this team, an honor to be an executive of this organization as it enters into a new chapter. I would like to thank my wife, Nikki, for her unwavering support throughout my baseball journey and my parents for the sacrifices they made to put me into this position today. They taught me the value of family, which I work to impart onto my three children, Luke, Alex, and Avery, who bring me so much joy and balance in my life. This is an opportunity that I do not take lightly, and there's a lot of work to do. I am not naive to the expectation that things need to change. To that I will say, the fans deserve different. I am different. We will be different. From this day forward, our organization will do whatever is necessary to be better in 2024 and beyond. 
It starts with a strong foundation. We will assess international, amateur, and pro scouting. We will look at player development, sports science, and medical departments, all while continuing to integrate analytics into every process that we have. With my understanding of the ins and outs of this organization, I plan to empower the talent that already exists, quickly fill the gaps with outside hires, and bring innovation, creativity, and energy in our pursuit of excellence. Regarding our 40-man roster, the approach is that no one is untouchable. If we have an opportunity to multiply or upgrade our major league, from our major league team from our roster or system, we will exhaust it. We will be looking to create more depth and balance to our roster for the near term and long. In the coming weeks, I plan to sit down with Pedro to assess our major league staff and meet with players to listen to their own ideas of where to improve the clubhouse. This feedback and all feedback is critical in developing a necessary long-term plan. So once again, I want to say thank you for this opportunity. I am excited about the change that has already begun and will continue. I am eager to more thoroughly assess our departments and foundation, and I am ready to officially begin this next chapter. Chris, you, uh, you said in your statement there that you are different. Um, obviously, fans can look at your resume and know where you've been the last few years. How would you say you are different from the, the folks who just uh, preceded you in this position? I mean, just, just like any leader uh, of an organization, you're, you're shaped by your experiences. And, you know, I'm a recent player, um, was an executive in uh, another organization, and obviously I've got my experiences here. You learn through those experiences, and that's going to uh, shape me as shape me in the leadership style I'm going to have. Um, but I realize that uh, there is skepticism. I do. I am an internal hire. And I've got to, you know, bear that burden. And it's my job to go out there and prove otherwise. Hey, uh, Chris, you talked a little about the season, but in your estimation, you've been around the team for a while. What has gone wrong? I mean, maybe it's too broad a question, but what has been the overriding theme for you and why this team is where it's at in 2023? You know, obviously it's been disappointing. Um, and, you know, you gotta, you, you got to look deep into the organization and the foundation. And I spoke of the foundational pillars that we have. And it's my job to make sure we're sound in all those areas. And the Major League team is a byproduct of, you know, the depths of the organization. So um, I'm going to pursue excellence in all of those areas. And, and hopefully that helps clean up our team. Um, you know, we've had a lot of injuries. We've had players that have underperformed. Um, and I look forward to sitting down with both Pedro and learn more about, you know, their, the coaching staff and certainly their styles. And, and gain that feedback from the players. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, there's a perception out there that, uh, you know, the White Sox have stayed within their organization too much over the years. Obviously, you're an exception, and so is Pedro stepping out and uh, bringing in other people. But what will your uh, thoughts be about bringing in uh, new blood and different people from other organizations to help you in your quest to uh, win? You know, for one, I, I'm going to take advantage of of being someone that's been here um, and has a strong understanding of the White Sox organization. And, you know, with that being said, it's going to be important to bring in different perspectives, different ideas, um, which comes with different people. 
to to add to the group that we have here and make us uh, better decision makers so we can go out there and put together a better ball club moving forward. Hey, Chris, uh, given your role with the minor leagues and the kind of underperformance we've seen, why do you think you got this job? What makes you qualified to have this job running the entire organization? You know, I've been very proud with some of the, the players that have come up here and helped us win, going back to, to us winning a division a couple of years ago. Um, I have been managing the farm. Um, I think we've got a lot of good people. We've got a lot of quality players. And once again, I feel like my experience of knowing what's going on in this organization, I'll be able to go out there and fill the gaps quickly to get us back on track. Do you expect uh, major changes, minor changes? Do you think that this team can't compete next year with just a few changes, or how do you look at that? You know, certainly, I, I think I can address the elephant in the room that we are. We do play in the AL Central, so you know every year, you know it seems that the the division is up for grabs. With that being said, you know we sit at 53 wins right now. So there is a gap to fill. Um, and we're going to look at different ways to improve this club. We're going to be creative with it. Um, we're not going to lose sight of our long-term goal of winning a World Series. But in the near term, once again, I look, look forward to sitting down with Pedro and learning what we have to do, building, going towards the, the offseason and getting ready for next year. Chris, first of all, congratulations. I saw you when you broke in. I was here when you broke in as a rookie. <laughs> Given the team expectation over the last couple of years and falling short, and it appears that the window is closing on this opportunity, do you see the the only way to move forward is to go the free agent route and it's the funds there to go to free agent because it appears that the minor league system is not ready to lift this team up? We're going to look at you know every opportunity to improve this ball club. We've got some quality players on this club. Now, if that means that we need to look at ways to, to improve the depth in certain areas, we're going to do that. Um, fortunately, at the deadline, we were able to acquire some players to boost our farm system. Some of those players are at the upper level of the minor leagues. And then we need to go out and, and look where we need to supplement. Jerry's been very supportive through the years um, from the baseball operations baseball office. Um, when we come to him and, and say that we need to do this or that, he's been very supportive. Um, but we're going to look at all of that stuff in the coming weeks and months. Chris right here. Sorry, behind the cameras. Uh, I know this is obviously day one for you. Jerry addressed it off the top. Uh, but in, as it relates to Friday's shooting incident, you got fans coming back tomorrow for a game. For those fans who may be concerned to come to the ballpark or have questions on how this was handled in terms of the information that has been released both from the White Sox and the Chicago Police Department, what do you say to those fans? You know, our, our security group and... Uh, the Chicago Police Department are communicating. Um, you know, the, there are still some questions that need to be answered, but I, I, I do want to say that our, our highest priority is the safety of our fans, our players, and their families. Chris, congratulations first. Um, the fans, they're not happy right now. How do you address them when they want to ask, how long is this going to take? When can this happen? You know, our commitment is to our fans, and we realize that they're not happy. Um, so I'm going to do a deep dive into the organization, rely on the group that we have here, and bring in different ideas and, and thinking to, to boost the intellectual firepower that we have. Um, you know, like I said earlier, we're fortunate to play in the AL Central. 
and we've got to find ways to build depth and balance to this roster to make us better for next year and beyond. Uh, Chris, you talked about learning from your experiences, looking back at the situations with Omar Vizquel and Wes Helms. Is there anything you wish you would have done differently in those situations, and what have you learned from that experience? You know, those are personnel matters that um, certainly don't want to go too far in depth on. I will say that I was very proud with our organization and how it was handled. We, we have extent, extensive training, uh, both players and staff, um, to prevent issues from popping up from time to time. And when they do, they know how to act accordingly. And in those cases, they did. Uh, following up on my colleague's question about last Friday, um, the way the police handled this by not stopping the game, even though they had people shot inside and they didn't know what was going on. Uh, we understand the team was not informed. Uh, do you believe that police handle this properly? And, and should they have stopped the game for the safety of everybody inside on Friday night? You know, it was clearly not a, an immediate threat to anyone. Um, obviously, the, there was time that needed to, to, to collect information. And our security group and the CPD worked closely together uh, and operated the way that they did. And the questions are, the, the questions are still going to be answered. Uh, congrats, Chris. Um, you just mentioned that there's nobody that's untouchable. We've heard a lot about the core over the last few years. Judging from you having this role now, is there a core now going forward that you, that you see? I mean, if no one's untouchable, there, we know about the contract situations with some of the guys. What do you, do you even use the word core right now? There's certainly players that we have on this roster that we feel like can help us compete in the future. I think it would be short-sighted. Uh, to think that we don't need to add to the group somehow, some way. So we need to look at our roster, and if that means that uh, we need to talk to other clubs or fill gaps in, uh, in, uh, in other ways, we're going to do that. Hey Chris, uh, do you anticipate uh, bringing in somebody, um, you know, Dayton's name has been mentioned, but somebody along those lines as a um, sort of an assistant or to fill that type of role alongside you? I'm certainly open to, to bringing in people that I feel like can be positive resources to our group. Um, I know some names have been thrown out there, um, and we haven't had those discussions yet, but certainly open-minded in terms of strengthening our group. Hey, Chris, yeah, what, what are just some of those first steps that you want to take to, to start turning this thing uh, back around again? It really starts with sitting down with Pedro, and, and I look forward to sitting down with the players as well. I think that type of feedback is going to be strong. I hope that they're comfortable speaking to me, being, being that I'm a former player and I can relate to some of the struggles they're going through. Um, yeah, so first and foremost, I want to sit down with, with that group and, and certainly you know, find ways within the organization to, to improve our processes as a whole. Yeah, hey, hey Chris, um, just to be clear, um, are you saying that Pedro will be back next year? Pedro will be back next year. Yeah. I think it's important to provide stability to our players. There's been a lot of changes the last couple of years, um, and certainly here recently. And I believe that we need to get back to playing baseball, focusing on baseball, so when these players show up each day, they can just focus on the game and not the leaders in the organization. Hey, Chris, um, just circling back to your old job, um, you worked under Kenny and Rick for a long time. Do you feel like you have some distinct philosophical differences or, or a different vision? or team building than, than maybe what went on here before? You know, every, every individual operates differently. I have a tremendous amount of respect for those two. Um, 
you know, now that we're going to have a single decision-making operation, um, I think that with the added influence of outsiders, along with the group that we have here, you know, our processes are going to be a little bit different, um, and we're going to see that on the field. Chris, you obviously were just asked about Pedro numerous times, but what, from your vantage point, have you thought of the job that he and his coaching staff have done this season? You know, Pedro's had to wear a lot of hats this year, and I certainly uh, look forward to providing the support that he needs. Obviously, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, and that that means learning more about what our coaches are providing our players, and I'll gain that in the coming weeks. Different conversation. Uh, Mr. Reinsdorf talked about that uh, the players that you were developing in the minor leagues weren't necessarily the ones that you signed because you're not director of scouting. Do you expect the changes in, uh, in scouting, and uh, how do you look to beef that up so you have better players to develop? Yeah, I look forward to, to meeting with our baseball operations department. You know, recently here we've acquired some really quality players, both in the draft and international. That doesn't mean that there aren't improvements that need to be made, but I've been, I've been happy with the recent uh, acquisitions of the players that we have. Chris, you obviously, um, we've heard a lot about leadership this year in one way or the other. Uh, with your experience as a player, you've been in, in, in good leadership clubhouses and bad leadership clubhouses. How, how do you use your experience as a player to identify what a clubhouse might need? Because it's not always the 30-100 guy that's the best leader. You know, I'm a believer that leadership starts at the top. You know, and Jerry made changes here recently. Um, and, you know, he's appointed me as the general manager. So it does start with me. Um, going back to my playing days, when, you know, I'm thinking of positive cultures I've been around, negative cultures. You know, I think everyone knows what a good culture feels like and a bad culture feels like. A culture certainly, you know what it feels like in the clubhouse because it lives there. It lives in the cages. It lives on the field during stretch, in the training room, on bus rides, planes, hotels. And it's my job to find the ingredients to improve the culture that we have. And when it comes to leadership and individual players, it starts with themselves. They need to understand what it takes to get the job done that night and be committed to that. You take care of your own business and good things will happen. Chris, uh, now that you're moving up to this role, what will happen with the uh, player development role or the you know, vice president in charge of player development, that sort of situation? I still, I feel like we're we're in a pretty good spot from a leadership standpoint. But with that being said, you know this is day one in this job, and we're going to look at uh, ways to improve the player development operation as well. Chris, you said Pedro had to wear a lot of hats this year. What do you mean by that? Like, what does what does that entail? Well, he's a first year manager with our club, and certainly that means getting to know his players, um, getting his coaches comfortable here. Um, and learning our front office, the operation throughout. And through that, you know, you certainly have to have conversations and experiences that you won't have in year two. And first and foremost, I think having me now in this position and having a consistent conversations, you know, throughout, throughout the days and, this, and, and as the season progresses, I'm going to be able to help him navigate a major league season. Do you expect uh, Tim Anderson to be part of the uh... – the picture next year on his contract is uh, needs to be picked up. Is, uh, do you view Tim as, as being your guy there at shortstop next year? 
T.A. is a very talented player that, you know, we drafted out of junior college. Uh, we've seen the best years out of T.A., and we've also seen some struggles. And we're not, we know what he's capable of doing on the field, and he's an important piece of the organization. Now, a decision like that takes time. And now that this is day one, I certainly want to sit down with T.A., sit down with Pedro, and really exhaust that decision because he deserves that. So there goes some interesting stuff from the brand-new general manager of the Chicago White Sox. That was Chris Getz on Thursday at his introductory press conference being named the general manager, the 13th in the organization's history for the Chicago White Sox after taking over now for Rick Hahn, who was previously holding that position, and of course, Kenny Williams relieved of his duties as well recently, making Chris Getz, as Jerry Reinsdorf has intimated, the sole decision maker, the final voice now, so it'll be one man in charge, and hopefully that will bring better and brighter days to a Chicago White Sox organization that was flying pretty high back in 2021 when they did win the AL Central. So hopefully Chris Getz can get the organization back moving in the right direction. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today here on White Sox Weekly. Connor's on the call along with Darren Jackson of White Sox Tigers. First pitch coming your way at 610 tonight. We'll have a 530 pregame. Looks like it's going to be about 87 degrees for first pitch. And um, again, it is a fabulous day out here. So uh, if you're looking for something to do, on your Labor Day weekend on Saturday here. Come on out and uh, join us at the ballpark. Lots of great food and going to be a great experience, of course, as it always is here at Guaranteed Rate. Uh, Let's pause 10 seconds for stations to identify themselves. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. If you'd like to react to what Chris Getz had to say, 312-332-3776. Feel free. Be my guest. We will talk about that. I'll give you some of my thoughts about what he said, and we'll let you hear from the chairman as well, Jerry Reinsdorf, who spoke on Thursday, and Scott Merkin set to join us in the 4 o'clock hour as well. So plenty to do here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. This is the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. Connor's on the call along with Darren Jackson as the White Sox host the Detroit Tigers here at Guaranteed Rate Field after losing to the Tigers last night. White Sox will try and get back to the winning ways. Hey, join us for Family Sundays presented by Coca-Cola at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Tickets start at just $10. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sunday to purchase your tickets Today, So as we just heard from Chris Getz there on Thursday, I think what you heard was a man who knows the organization well and he knows the shortcomings where he believes they went wrong recently. And I'm not going to lie, it's a difficult position that he was put in on Thursday because I know a lot of White Sox fans were hoping that there would be an exhaustive search that went on in hiring the next general manager. That was not the case, and as you'll hear from Jerry Reinsdorf later in the show, part of the reason Jerry felt that Chris Getz was the right man for the job is because he feels like he knows this organization well, and he believes he can turn it around faster than some of other, some of the other people he may have interviewed would be able to because he feels like there would be an evaluation period that would need to go on. And 
I'm not, not going to mince words. Jerry said them himself. He's, you know, doesn't have a lot of time left, and he doesn't think wasting a year with a new GM or a, a, a voice from outside the organization coming in, having to learn everybody, and then try and figure out who does what well would not necessarily serve the organization best. So if you, you want, want to look at the bright spot there, it's that Jerry Reinsdorf believes time is of the essence, and he doesn't want a long, exhaustive rebuild to, you know, be something where, you know, three, four, five years down the road. He's hoping that the White Sox can get things turned around quickly. And I know White Sox fans are as well, certainly. So that's the reality of the situation Chris Getz has been put in. And I don't think there's too many things he could have said on Thursday that would have convinced fans that everything was all right. Again, this is a, you know, show us type of job here. You can say all you want, but until Chris Getz has the opportunity to show how he's going to do things differently with his player acquisitions, you know, and, you know, we'll see what he ends up doing. There's a lot of hard decisions to be made about this current White Sox roster that a lot of White Sox fans were hoping would, you know, be the core to opening up a championship window for a long time and that it seemed like they were in moving in the right direction again back in 2021 when Tony La Russa was the manager and the team won the American League Central before the Houston Astros you know put put it on him in the playoffs and it was a a great season that ended abruptly and I think because because of the abrupt nature of that 2021 division championship it it left a somewhat sour taste and a lot of uh, White Sox fans' mouth. You know, it, usually when you win a division, you feel good about it, but there were big expectations for the White Sox that season. And while they won the division pretty handily going away, you know, when you go out like that meekly in the playoffs, all of a sudden it's quick and over before you know it, and then your dreams of making a deep playoff run make you start wondering what exactly the entirety of the baseball season was. And so that's always the hard nature of the baseball playoffs is that a great season can feel some sometimes somewhat diminished if you don't have a nice run in the playoffs. And honestly, even if you have a nice run in the playoffs, if you don't end up winning the World Series, a lot of times that's just the nature of sports, not baseball, but sports in general is that a great season sometimes can feel, you know, it feels feels you leaving somewhat hollow when you don't actually end up winning the ultimate goal, which is a championship for every organization and this White Sox organization as it should be. So I think, you know, that is part of the point that Jerry Reinsdorf, you'll hear from him, like I said, we'll play, play him in a little bit. Uh, you'll hear him say, though, you know, they had a great season in 2021, and that is really what Rick Kahn and Kenny Williams built up the core for. And they had lived up to those expectations until they got to the playoffs. And then, of course, last season in 2022, Tony La Russa dealt with a lot of health issues. And Jerry Reinsdorf mentioned that as well, that, you know, he didn't feel like the team necessarily was, you know, achieved what they should have in 2022. And so you end up going 500 at 81 and 81 that season with Tony La Russa dealing with the health issues that he would, he did for the most part of that season. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a void left for the fan base. And then Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams bring in Pedro Grafal this season. And 
at this point, we're at a stage in the season where the White Sox at 53-82, and 82, 17 games back of the Minnesota Twins, they find themselves in a position where they had to make the move. Jerry Reinsdorf says that. He had to make the move. He had too many people telling him, hey, you got to do something because this is just, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And, you know, to his credit, he, he finally listened to those people and decided, you know what, it couldn't be turned around. And maybe, again, th- this is where um, his hope for a quick turnaround, a quicker turnaround could be beneficial. We'll see what the White Sox do. Will they bring back Yohan Mankata next season? He's still under contract for a hefty sum, I believe $29 million on the books. You know, Will he be brought back? Will they look to trade him? He's somebody who has not been healthy nearly enough, and even when he has been, he hasn't necessarily given you what you thought you were paying for when you did sign him to a long-term extension. Will he be brought back? That's a critical decision that's going to be under Chris Getz's purview now. Tim Anderson, we heard him talk about that in particular. I think ultimately Tim Anderson is likely to be back. He's got a team option next year. I believe it's $12.5 million um, if they want to bring him back. In all likelihood, it seems to me that it just would you know, not be good business not to pick up that option. Whether or not they will look to deal him, maybe that's something that they would consider. Maybe Tim Anderson would like a you know change of scenery that I suppose that's possible but I think Tim Anderson is probably likely to be back at least the team option will be picked up whether or not they deal him that's something that I'm sure Chris Getz will be exploring in the offseason about what could they get in return for one season of him and obviously I would assume a very motivated Tim Anderson next season to prove that he is better than what he's been this year I think Aloy Jimenez is a definite question next year, right? He's a, a great hitter when healthy, and of course that's the huge caveat, when healthy. How often has Aloy Jimenez been healthy for the White Sox? Not nearly enough. And there's been a few stretches where he's able to be out and stay out on the field for extended periods of time, and you see that he is the, he's got one of, you know, one of the two most lethal bats still in the lineup. But again... I don't know if you can continue to count on Eloy Jimenez as a part of this core if you're Chris Getz. That's a decision he's going to have to make. What's going to be available to him in the trade market for Eloy Jimenez? That, I'm not sure, right? A guy who's not healthy and who's probably best served as a designated hitter more times than not is probably not going to bring back a huge return. It would obviously be a situation where the White Sox, if they're shopping him around, would have to ask the question, are you selling too low on a potential hitter like Aloy Jimenez. I think it goes without saying everybody expects Luis Robert will be here for the long term. He's the he's the he's the linchpin to the entire roster right now and it's un, you know 35 home runs, clearly the the best hitter on your team and he's been healthy this season. Got 17 steals. That's actually 35-17, 35-20 uh is well within reach heck. He could go 40-20 this year. Certainly a possibility with uh, a month of games remaining. Um, you know, and I'm talking about numbers, but baseball, you know, I know it is a team game, but it's also there's a lot of individual aspects to the game where it's hitter versus pitcher. And so um, for someone like Luis Robert, this season kind of turns into what can you do? Can you bring it day in and day out now for the remainder of the season so that you can add to your lofty totals and, you know, really announce yourself as one of the elites in the game, one of the top, you know, 
2015 players in baseball. That's kind of what's at stake for him for the remainder of the season because, again, through 128 games, he's hitting uh, 272 with a 324 on base, 560 slug. He's got a wins above replacement of 5.2 right now. That's a, that's an absurd number. 35 homers, 17 steals. As I mentioned, he's scored 81 runs and he's driven in 71. So. He's had an excellent year with more to come. He can really finish with a flourish, and by the end of the year, if he continues to do so, all of a sudden, Luis Robert might end up being, you know, in the discussion when the uh, when MLB Network does the, you know, the top 100 players. He could be, you know, very easily sneaking into the top 20 if he finishes this season very strongly, especially because we know that Gold Glove caliber defense that he brings day in and day out. So. Um, I think Luis Robert, he's not going anywhere. I would be that. That's something that I think we can all agree on. Chris Getz is not going to be um, moving Luis Robert. But you know, those are your critical pieces. Um, I would assume Andrew Vaughn will be here for the long term. I think Chris Getz likes what Andrew Vaughn brings to the field day in and day out. And I think um, even though Rick Hahn was speaking highly of Andrew Vaughn before he was relieved of his duties. I would bet that Chris Getz shares a lot of the same opinions about Andrew Vaughn that Rick Hahn was uh, explicit about in the last few weeks of his tenure. I believe the White Sox think that Andrew Vaughn has more growing to do and can be a critical player on this roster going forward. You know, those those are the key pieces on the Sox roster, at least in their everyday lineup, that Chris Getz is going to have to decide about. And then when it comes to the rotation, I think there's two big names that everybody's aware of, and that's... Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech. Dylan Cease, we've seen he has been a Cy Young runner-up as recently as last season. There's a lot of upside, and the last you know month or so has been not clearly one of the worst stretches for Dylan Cease. And you wonder, is it something mechanically that's going on? Is it just the fact that when you see so many good players traded away at the trade deadline? Do you lose a little bit of focus, right? Like, and I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm saying this is all a possibility for Dylan Cease. But if Chris Getz wants to trade Dylan Cease in the offseason, he can go ahead and basically name his price because he will be one of the most highly sought-after arms available on the trade market if that's the direction that Chris Getz chooses to go. I don't think that necessarily would be the most prudent move because I think when you've got an ace caliber starter in your rotation, the moment you move him, you know, trade him, whatever you get in return, you're now immediately trying to replace that ace that you just dealt away. And Dylan Cease is somebody who has proven that he can take the ball for you every fifth or sixth day and essentially give you close to 200 innings because, you know, in, in this modern era of baseball, you're not necessarily asking a pitcher to give you 200 innings anymore. You're essentially asking for 160 to 180 good innings. And Dylan Cease has proven to you that he can do that. And so the moment you would end up moving him, you're, you're trying to find someone who can give you some semblance of that caliber of innings. And that's hard to replace, right? So I don't think they'll be ultimately trading Dylan Cease. But I do know that if they put him out there and make him available, he would immediately return a lot, um, so I'm not ruling that one completely out. And then finally, Michael Kopech, what exactly is he capable of at the major league level? Can he be a true starting pitcher that you can count on day in and day out, right? We've seen flashes of brilliance from him this season, and, you know, for three or four game stretches, 
he has been amongst the best pitchers in baseball, but it has not been nearly enough, and it has been so frustrating to see him reach those highs, but then fall back to earth and hit those lows where you know he can't really give you more than three or four innings before he's exhausted, and then teams start to uh, you know take him deep and all of a sudden hit around a little bit. So, what is Chris Getz's feeling about Michael Kopech? Because he's got the pedigree to possibly be amongst the best pitchers in baseball, and we've seen it at times, but not nearly often enough. And, you know, he's critical to what they want to do as an organization moving forward. So those are some of the key decisions that Chris Getz has in front of him this offseason when we talk about the core for the White Sox, right, and what exactly that core is comprised of. Um, and, again, this goes back to where I say this is the, the job that Chris Getz is in. This is where it's about show me what you're capable of. Don't necessarily tell us what you want to do or don't tell us what everybody wants to hear. Um, because, honestly, there's nothing he could have done on Thursday to prove that he's going to be a good general manager. All of that's going to come in due time. And so, you know, at this point, the slate is wiped clean. Whether or not how much influence Chris Getz actually had while Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams were running the organization, we'll never really know, right? So this is Chris Getz's opportunity starting now to determine what he wants to do with the White Sox. And the month of September, I think, is going to give him an opportunity to take a close look at all the players who are out there on the field and start to make some actual hard decisions where he will be the one who determines their fate. So that's my assessment of the White Sox new general manager, Chris Getz. I'm hoping that he can turn things around quickly the way that Jerry Reinsdorf hopes that he can. 312-332-3776 if you want to talk with us. White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Join us for Family Sundays presented by Coca-Cola at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Tickets start at just $10. Visit whitesox.com slash Sunday to purchase your tickets today. All right, up next, there was a huge achievement over the week in baseball, something that's never been done before. A player created his own club. I'll tell you about it next here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Ronald Hammers hits to left center. That ball is history. And Ronald Acuna Jr. just made history. He has Major League Baseball's first ever 30-60 season. And he does it in grand fashion. Well, how about that? It's been a wild week for Ronald Acuna. With that grand slam, his 30th home run of the season, he created his very own club. 30 home runs and 60 stolen bases. Absolutely absurd. And uh, I think more than anything, what that speaks to is how good a job the changes with the pitch clock that we've seen this year and the limited throws over to first base, how it's brought back the stolen base into baseball, which has always been one of the more exciting aspects in to watch baseball, you know, and to finally have those brought back into the game this season because of the changes they've made across baseball. It's fantastic because now we can have a unique, talented athlete like Ronald Acuna do this, what we've seen him do this season. Again, 30 home runs, 60 steals. Where does it stop, right? I mean, 
we're talking they've got just under 30 games left they being the Braves I mean is it 40 you know is it 40 he's going to go 40 70 is he going to go 40 home runs and 70 stolen bases I guess that's probably cuz the next marker obviously would be him hitting 40 home runs I think I think 70 steals is certainly possible but can he get to 40 home home runs on the season that to me is the question of course I played you the highlight there um, courtesy of Belly Sports South. Um, I played you the highlight there of the Grand Slam, which was his 30th of the season. He's already homered since that home run. He homered again last night against the Dodgers to give him 31 on the year. So Acuna currently has 31 homers, and he has stolen... What's he currently at here? I'm sorry. I didn't get that. I'm pulling it up as we speak here. He's got 63 steals. So he's probably getting to 70 here at this moment. So he's 31 and 63. He's probably getting the 70 steals. And now the question is, will he get to 40 home runs? 40-70 is within reach for Ronald Acuna, which is just insane. And oh, by the way, this past week, Mookie Betts, of all people, moved into the favorite for National League MVP, which honestly blew my mind when I read it. Because, okay, Mookie's having a fantastic year as well. But you would just think... Of course, Shohei Otani's in his own little category in the American League, dominating that. But Ronald Acuna, you would think, basically would have it on lock. But no, apparently Mookie Betts has moved into the betting favorite as the National League MVP. Now, it's going to be a tightly contested race, and so that's why the stats are really going to matter coming down the stretch here as to whether or not Mookie Betts or Ronald Acuna ends up winning the National League MVP. I suppose you could make the argument, and this is where the MVP debate is always interesting. I suppose you could make the debate that the Braves are absolutely loaded, and they've got so many players having big years on their roster, aside from Ronald Acuna, not just Acuna, but when you look at someone like Matt Olson having a huge productive year, or you look at you know Ozzie Elbies before he got a little bit dinged up having a monster year, you know, Marcel Ozuna, Austin Riley. The Braves are absolutely loaded. And though, while you generally think Los Angeles Dodgers, the first thought is, wow, they're always loaded. Freddie Freeman's having a big year as well. But they're across the roster not having as many players as the Braves seem to have. So maybe that's why the argument is shifting a little bit, or at least the betting odds are shifting a little bit in Mookie Betts' favor um, as to why he's the favorite. He's now hitting uh, 315 on the season with 38 homers. He's got 98 runs driven in. And maybe maybe part of the reason Mookie Betts is getting more uh, of the money is because his ability, his flexibility, right? You've seen him now play shortstop, second base, um, right field. He's played all over the diamond, and he's played, you know, pretty close to Gold Glove caliber at every position. He's now got a wins above replacement of seven point eight. Mookie Betts does with uh, a slash line of three fifteen, four hundred nine, six nineteen. So, you know, it's one of the uh, all time great National League MVP races we have coming down the stretch, and both players play for teams that are leading their divisions. Uh, quite handily. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. But again, Ronald Acuna creating his own club this past week, going 30-60, and maybe 
with his eyes set on a possible 47. He would be crazy. 312-332-3776 if you want to talk some baseball or uh, White Sox baseball with me. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today who's on the call along with Darren Jackson. Up next, we will check in with Scott Merkin who covers the White Sox for Major League Baseball. We'll do that right here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM FM HD and app. Jeff Miller hanging out with you here on White Sox Weekly till 5.30 when your pregame coverage of White Sox Tigers will be coming your way. I'll be with you here for that. And then Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson will be on the call for White Sox Tigers tonight. For a limited time only, get parking included when you purchase two or more tickets to a September home game. So don't wait. Offer ends soon. Visit WhiteSox.com slash flash sale to purchase. That's slash flash sale to purchase. I am Jeff Miller. This is White Sox Weekly hanging out here at Guaranteed Rate, taking in a little bit of batting practice. Tigers out there right now taking some uh, batting practice as they get set for tonight's game here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. And uh, as we kind of look around here, I see Scotty Merkin walking into the booth here with me. He's covered the White Sox for a long time here, seen plenty during his day here as we get him set up with a headset here and uh scott can you hear me okay i can excellent can thanks me? yeah i hear you beautifully now we're talking white Sox and that michigan's first win today right? you listen as a michigan man i will give you 30 seconds did you have any chance to actually take it in did you I did. i've been, it I've been 11 i so, actually right. bought peacock in order to watch the game today well, so is, there you go i so love it eleven dollars a month that now now on the credit card bill for to watch Michigan today. Listen, had I known you could have hit me up, I could have shared my password. Oh, there you go. I'm an EPL guy. I've been, I've been, uh, I've had the uh, Peacock subscription running for quite some time now. McCarthy so. was great. The defense was great, and they I got to win. So that's all that matters. There you go. The Michigan man, Scott Merkin. And Jordan. how about Deion Sanders? Got to throw that well, out there too. Listen, that I, was tremendous. That was actually something I was uh, very intrigued with because I was actually talking about this yesterday with Tyler Aki, and I said, "Hey, I'm intrigued by Colorado. I want to see." What it looks like when you have 86 new players out of 96 yeah. on your roster. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I guess uh, I guess they're soon, doing uh, Soon he will. I assume he's in the Florida State Hall of Fame. So soon him and Pedro Grafoa will share something in that. Mm-hmm. Pedro is going into the Florida State Hall of Fame this weekend. He won't be there. Mm-hmm. But he, his wife and his family will be there. And he will be honored as a, Florida, as a Seminole Hall of Famer this weekend. Should Florida State... Do something about that, right? Like, shouldn't a man be able to attend his own yeah, Hall of Fame induction? But I guess you have all sorts of sports, so you got to find the common ground, right? I'm just just me guessing. I didn't yeah. really talk to anyone at Florida State. I mean, because you know, otherwise you could wait until would anybody e- November maybe even or something like that. I mean, would not it like be, it ever gets bad weather down there, right? So would it be crazy if uh, I mean we should, we should we should fly him out there and let him actually attend and. You know what I mean? Like I, I shouldn't say I know they're dealing with hurricanes okay. and all that, but I should say like it doesn't get really cold down there where you have to like you probably shy away from banquets in December here because it's fifteen degrees, you know, and yeah. icy and snowing. So. True. True. So yeah, Scott Markin covers the White Sox for MLB.com. He's been covering the Sox for how for quite a time 21 now. Twenty one years. There you 21st, go. Started in 03. So you've seen a lot. I and have. Um, we now have, obviously, the story of the week is a brand-new general manager right. in Chris Getz taking over. And fans, obviously, are wondering, how as, as, a, as a man who's been in the organization for seven years now, how is he going to be able to be a different voice and put his seal on this? What are your thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, I, I understand fans' angst. We were just talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, my... Um, 
you know, devotion to Michigan sports, and there have been mm-hmm. many times where I've been angry about, you know, them not doing well, even with Jim Harbaugh there, who I think is a great coach. So I get it. I get it, and there's really nothing, I think, that can be said right now. It's, it's the same thing I said, after, you know, we heard from Rick about how great Pedro was in the interview, mm-hmm. and he kind of won that process with his first interview. He was tremendous in that opening press conference, but I wrote this, and I'm sure others did too, Excuse me. That it it doesn't matter because what what you're going to be judged by is on the field. You, you know, Rick's often joked. Uh, Rick often joked about you know there is no trophy for winning the off season. You mm-hmm. don't get any extra wins in the season for winning the off season. So I think Chris is. I know Chris is his own person. Chris has got his own ideas. Already met with the team before the game yesterday, and the, the players I've talked to kind of liked his message. So I think you can't really say anything until you see him go. It's like someone asked me the other day. What do I expect will be different? And I said, "Why well, I can't say that because you know I've known him as the minor league director, yes. and seen him work that. But now it's a totally different thing, right? Now he's in charge of the team. He is the one voice, as as Jerry yes. said, aside from contracts, which makes sense, aside from spending. So we'll see what happens. So I, I mean, there's nothing I can say that someone who's listening, who's an angry Sox fan, and understandably, it's been two really bad years, is going to say, "Oh, now I get it. This is why they have him. This this makes perfect sense." He's going to have to do it on the field with this team, and he knows it. I think Chris is well aware of that, and especially with the situation that he's an internal hire to show that you know it's going to be different, that this is the team is going to go in a different direction. And I think fans really don't care in the direction as long as there's more wins than losses, which you know has not been the case overall in the last two years. No, I, I completely agree with that, and I said something similar here in the previous segment, is that Chris was put in a tough position on Thursday, right? Like, there's nothing he can do. He can go up there and say whatever he wants to say. But again, those are just words. And really, this is a job where you're judged on what your results are on the field more than anything else. And so you can sound great up there, but if it doesn't result in any in any actual victories or any actual change in the direction of the franchise, then it's all hollow anyway. Right. So, you know, you have to do it. You have to have the introductory press conference. But at this point stage there's not and you want it. I mean if you're Chris this is your goal right this is what, sure, you're, this absolutely. Is what you're moving towards yeah yeah and and it was it's interesting because it's tough right like there are some upset White Sox fans and and Jerry we're going to play him after after uh, you uh you know you're done giving us your time here but um you know he said it the other day is that he wants to he wants an ex you know an expedited rebuild here right, right? he doesn't want to waste time he wants right. to get after it because he understands the reality of being an 87 year old man owning a baseball team um but he also put chris in a tough spot because he goes up there and you know all these questions that chris can't really give you an answer for because the thing is how much power did he have he yes i know he's in the organization but you ha- also have to do what your bosses and at this time right. at this point it was Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. I think he did have some power. Like I know he was involved mm-hmm. in the Pedro hiring. Mm-hmm. You know, he was part of the interview process. So I think he did have more power than okay. I mean, he was an assistant GM. general manager, yeah. right? So I mean it was more and I don't want to play down the farm director. That's a very important job and that's someone Chris is gonna have to fire. I, I, wrong word. Yes. Hire now because mm-hmm. he's moved up to, you know, uh the general, the general manager. manager yeah. Senior vice president, general manager, I think is the full title. But yeah, I, again I think it goes back to Whatever he said on there, people it's kind of like presentation. People did not want, Sox fans at least, did not want. I thought he was fine on, on Thursday, mm-hmm. but I, again, think he could have gone up there and turned over a table and said, this is what's going to happen, and we're winning 90 games next year, and hold me to that. And I think fans still would have been like, well, you know, whatever. It's, we, we don't believe it. We'll mm-hmm. see it. We, we'll see when we believe it. You know, I, I've talked to people, and they've kind of maybe opened my eyes a little bit when they we talked about, you know, expanding the rebuild. That's fine, but there are a lot of gaps that are going to have to be filled to do that. Now, you do 
reside in the AL Central, which is a bad division. This mm-hmm. is going to be the th- most likely, unless the rejuvenated Guardians have mm-hmm. a run here, this is going to be the third straight year where only one team finishes above 500 in the AL Central. Mm-hmm. So that does buy you some good graces where you can win maybe 87, 88 and staying in contention. Now, flipping that, though, the last two teams that won, the White Sox and the Guardians, ended up being pretty good teams. Yeah. You know, and won over 90. Yes. So it's not that simple. But I think fans want to hear more about not how do we win to win the division. They want to know how do we win to win it all. And that was addressed a little bit by both Chris and Jerry on uh, Thursday. So we'll see. What Again, you know, we can talk. It's like asking players right now. And I've done it, so I'm, you know, one at fall too. But what are they going to say? You know, I mean, no one's going to say, oh, man, we didn't want Chris. You know, they, they all know Chris. They've worked with Chris. Some of them have been developed in the system that Chris was running. So they like Chris. They've talked to Chris. You know, probably when you're coming, I'll give you an example. Like, I know Jake Berger, yep. who hit two homers to get to 30 today for the Marlins, raved about how Chris was so beneficial in his process when Jake missed those three years with the two ruptured Achilles and the bruised heel, the pandemic, and really was out of baseball for yes. three entire years. And he said he could not have made it without Chris. So there's an example of a positive. And there's where you maybe have more connection when you're a minor league player to the guy who's in charge than maybe you do as a major league player to you know, the general manager or the executive vice president. So again, it's these guys know them. They they, they like what they hear. But again, it's going to be what happens once the process gets going. Which it, Jerry said that was one of the reasons why he made the moves on August twenty second to kind of give Chris the lay of the land for the rest of the year. I'm glad you gave us that story because you know a lot of the criticism has been okay. Well, once the uh, the players graduated from the farm system, that you trade the uh, you know the organization traded for it, particularly when you trade away Chris Sale, Adam Eaton, uh, Jose Quintana. Um, all of a sudden, you bring in some top prospects, and once they graduate, what happened? But that's a good story. Hearing that Jake Berger giving Chris gets a lot yeah. of credit because I mean, this was not like just the last sure. week, but this was you yes. know during this great process that Jake has had. Yes. I think it was last year he talked about it yeah. actually, where he said, you know, Chris was there for him just as a sounding board a lot yeah. of times, just to keep him focus and not give up. I mean, it's got to be tough when you're a first-round draft oh, of pick. Course. You come in, you have a pretty good, you know, shortened first season, and then the next thing you know, you're out of baseball for three years. You know I mean? And then to come back and do what he's done, like I've said a couple times and some people have kind of laughed at but I think it's it's movie-like what Jake has done. And to Chris's credit, he was a guy who was there to help him, according to Jake. So, you know, it's, it's just an example of a positive thing, you know, which I'm sure there are many of those he's done along the way during the seven years he's been here. Scott Merkin joining me here on White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller. In for Connor McKnight today, who's got the call of your White Sox and Tigers play-by-play coming your way at 6-10. All right, Scott, so you brought up Jake Berger as a success story. Right. Let's look at the current roster right now. Is there How much more can the White Sox get out of Andrew Vaughn? Because he's somebody who I look at as you know a highly picked player who he's good, but I do think you're going to draft someone like Vaughn, you need more from him if you're going to be, as we mentioned, a contender in the AL Central. I think a couple things you look at, and he had, what, 255 plate appearances in the minor leagues before he came to the mm-hmm. majors. And then he comes to the majors, and he's going through spring training, and the last week they say, hey, guess what? You know, Aloy <laughs> hurt himself. You're now playing the outfield. Mm-hmm. Where he rarely had, I guess he had played at the alternate side a little bit, and then maybe a little bit in college. And they worked him at second. They worked him at third. He's been all over the place. I think Andrew knows he's got to hit a little better, but overall, be more productive. He's actually had, his numbers are going to be decent by the end of the year. More than decent. Going to be pretty good by the end of the year. But you talk, I talk to people around baseball, 
and people who I respect a lot, and they brought up to me how this is going to be a twenty-five and a hundred guy yeah. for you know before the not too distant future. So I think it's just patience. You know, some guys it happens right away where you come in and you're at that elite level, and some guys have good numbers like Andrew, and then eventually get to that all-star capability. But yeah, I mean, you want your corner guy to have a little more power and a little more run production, but. I think he's done a, a decent job over at first base this year. I mean, it's just not been a good season for the team. They're 29 sure. games under entering tonight, so you can parse anything you want, and just it comes back to it's not a good team, and it's been not a, you know, except for Luis Robert, really, and then Jake during the time he was here, it's really not been an overwhelming season for pretty much anyone, right? And then Liam Hendricks is a tremendous story of his, of you know, course, his comeback. Yep. But I think Andrew will get there. I, I really do. The, the guy works hard. And he believes in himself. And, you know, the people I talk to, you know, the, the people who also know baseball but have been in the game for a long time tell me this guy is going to be a hitter. So I, I trust them on that one. Glad to hear that. Uh, last thing before I spring you, Scott. Sure. Scott Merkin joining me here on White Sox Weekly. All right, so I'll, I'll let you pick, cause, uh, or maybe just a little, little on each. Kopech and Garrett Crochet, they're two guys who I think if you're hoping for a quicker turnaround, I'm, you know, I think maybe they need to be uh, better members of this rotation. What do you think the uh, long-term outlook is for Kopech and Garrett Crochet? Both great guys, which fans probably are like, okay, that's tremendous, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I think Kopech, and I wrote about this in my newsletter recently, I think a lot of it, he has so much talent. A lot of it is the mental side of it, you know, where you can see him kind of, you know, get defeated on like one or two moments. And he's talked about yeah. watching a guy like Lance Lynn, who, let's face it, did not have a good run in Chicago this year. But there were still games where Lance would get hit hard in the first inning and still give you six innings or still get into the seventh inning. And that's the kind of guy Kopech wants to be. He wants to be an ace-type yes. pitcher. But he also wants to be a guy who can keep you in games even if you're not on that game. So he's he's working. It's not like he's just sitting there and saying, my talent's going to take over eventually. I, I think he's you know going to be a, a, a quality starter. I'm not sure if he's going to be the number one guy, but I think he will figure this out. I know it's been you know a little bit. He's gone through some stuff, but he, I think he's going to get there. And then, you know, Crochet, there was some talk that maybe he could have been somehow part of the rotation next year. I don't see how that's going to happen now because I think he has like 10 innings thrown this year with, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming. And again, he's coming back from Tommy John. Yep. But if he's going to be a starter, he probably would have to go to the minors. And I don't know, you know, to stretch him out. And I don't know if they want to give up a good arm like that out of the bullpen. He's, you know, Pedro told us yesterday he's still re- rehabbing in Arizona. He said he will pitch again this year. He's just not sure where. So that may just be in a controlled, you know, instructs game yeah. in Arizona. But he's certainly a, a firm part of the plans, and if they, you know, he wants to, he Garrett was very eloquent about this earlier in the year about how he wants to be a starter, he wants to give it a shot, and if it doesn't work, then at least he can say he went after it, and he can, you know, assume the other role. So I think they will they will let him get there. It's just a question of how do you build him up, yeah, to no get to fair. that because this is not, you know, you're dealing in Canapolis and you can let him pitch ninety innings and shut him down. You're trying to win a division sure. and win a World Series title, so. I get that you can manage the innings, yes, but you're not you're not supposedly not rebuilding, so yeah. you want to win. So no. you got to you got to figure that out. It's a fair point, and when you've got a major league caliber bullpen arm that right. Crochet has established him as, yeah, it's hard balancing act. But uh, good stuff, Scott. As always, thanks for taking us inside the clubhouse. There, always appreciate it, and your insight uh, covering the White Sox on the MLB.com. So thanks for hopping on White Sox Weekly. Thanks man. for having me. My pleasure. That is Scott Merkin again. You can check him out all his uh, White Sox coverage on MLB.com. Uh, Sox fans, join us at Guaranteed Rate Field for. 
for halfway to St. Patrick's Day as the White Sox take on the Twins at 6-10. The first 10,000 fans, 21 and older, will receive a Southside Irish jersey presented by Miller Lite. To purchase t- tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. Up next, we'll let you hear from the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, as he met the media this week ahead of Chris Getz's introduction. We'll let you hear what he had to say on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor's on the call along with Darren Jackson as the White Sox host the Detroit Tigers for Game 2 at the Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family to a White Sox game with a family pack presented by ExxonMobil. Your family will get one ticket, one hot dog, drink, and chips to select games starting at $19 per ticket. Plus, every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash family. All right, so as we mentioned before Chris Getz was introduced, the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, met with some of the media and gave us a long explanation and reaction to why he chose to relieve Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn of their duty and also why Chris Getz, he believe, believes, is the right man for the job. So here is Jerry Reinsdorf on Thursday. Hey, two things I want to cover first. One is this office is not normally this clean. <laughs> Between Riper and my assistant, they decided to clean it up. The, the other thing is the gun story. Uh, I spoke to Superintendent uh, uh, Wally last night, and he authorized me to say that uh, regardless of what anybody has said up till now, they have not ruled out that the shots came from outside the ballpark. Now, and, and you, you, know, you can call him, contact him, and he'll verify that. Um, they're, they're still investigating. Uh, I don't want to get into specific facts while they're investigating, but we've really done a deep dive into this, and I don't see any way in the world that the shots could have come from inside the ballpark, but let's let the police continue with their investigation. Uh, at this point, all the superintendent is prepared to say is that they've not ruled out that they came from outside the ballpark. Okay. you have any questions about that? Um, yeah, you would. Of course. I'll, I'll ask you later. Um, it's, I, I don't want to ask anything about the police investigation, if anyone else does. You know, stuff. Okay. And let's talk about Chris. Long before I even thought that I'd be making a change, I was very well aware of, the, of what Chris was doing in the minor leagues. Because I told a lot of people, for the first time ever since I've been here, we were teaching baseball in the minor leagues the way I wanted it to be taught. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been watching baseball, Major League Baseball since 1946, and I'm absolutely convinced that more games are lost than are won. And I think you guys have been watching long enough to know that that's true. You know, you don't mind when somebody beats you, but you hate it when you get beat. And, uh, and going back, all the way back to, uh, to Roland and, and Al Goldis, I wanted baseball taught in the minor leagues a certain way, where people understood what they were doing, they understood, you know, what's the right thing to do in a certain situation. And nobody ever did it right until Chris came along. And, and this I observed, you know, a couple of years ago. I was thrilled with it. Okay, so that's just, you know, in, in the background. Then, when I, had, when I finally came to grips with the idea 
that maybe I had to make a change. I still didn't know that I had to make a change. So I started, I started talking to everybody in the baseball department, uh, almost everybody uh, in the baseball department, uh, just wanting to know what they were observing. What, 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 you know, what do you think ought to be changed? What, what's good, what's bad? Uh, and Chris was one of the people that I talked to. I talked to him at great length. I talked to a number of other people in the baseball department. Okay, so that, then I started getting convinced that I had to make a change, and a change killed me because it, it wouldn't have been any harder for me to fire my son Michael than it was to fire Kenny because Kenny was my son, is still my son. You know, one of the last things his father said to Kenny when he, when he was on his deathbed was, well, you have a second father. So th th this, was, this really killed me to do it. But it became obvious that it, had, you know, that, that it had to be done. So when, when I came to the conclusion that we had to make a change, I started thinking about who's out there. You know, you, you, don't, you don't make a change unless you know that you're going to be able to do something that you're going to improve. So I pretty much know who all the potential candidates were out there. And there's, and there's some good guys out there. There's no question. There's some good guys who can be general managers and have been general managers that are going to be general managers maybe even this, this next year. And so my, 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 my first feeling was, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll interview an internal candidate and then, I'll, then I'm going to ask permission to talk to all of these other guys. But that moved me to the thought that what is it that I owe to fans? And I think what I, one of the things that I owe to fans is to get better as fast as we can possibly get better. The speed is of the essence. I, I don't want this to be a long-term proposition. And in the meantime, I don't know how many conversations I had with Chris, and it, 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 it became clear to me that he would be one of the major candidates along with these outside candidates. And then when I started thinking about the speed that I owe the fans, I realized that if you bring in somebody from the outside, it's going to take him a year. He's going to have to evaluate everybody in the organization. I, I could bring Branch Rickey in if he was available, uh, and, and he'd have to evaluate everybody. So you'll you lose you lose a year. And and here I had somebody inside who was very very competitive, and and it might even have been the guy that I would select if I had talked to all these other guys. And so the thought, you know, so I came then to the conclusion that if I've got a guy inside who can do the job, why not? Why not do it inside and save a year? And that's that's basically how I got to Chris. Now go ahead and ask me whatever you want to ask me, you, and, I'll, and I'll answer whatever I feel like. Do you uh, <laughs> plan on hiring a uh, baseball, former baseball executive, to work with Chris? And you and Chris collaborate on uh, that type of uh, hiring, if indeed it is. That would be Chris's call. I'm I'm not planning on bringing anybody in. If Chris decides he wants to bring somebody in, that's his call. As you thought about the process, did you ever think about, I mean, maybe there was some value in talking to outside people just to get a fresh perspective from the outside on the organization? Oh, I've talked to some people outside, not as candidates, but I've talked to some people outside about what they thought of our organization. And that was part of one of the reasons why we made a change. Jerry, why uh, August 22nd? Why that date in particular for Rick and Kenny? And, and how... What, what was the feeling on why that change had to happen? You, you said it in the press release, but now that we're talking to you, what was the feeling on why that had well, to happen? Well, first of all, I wanted to give Chris as much time to get started. I mean, we, we, we've got, you know, end of season is going to come up. 
free agency is going to become an issue. We've got the general managers meetings, we've got the winter meetings. I wanted to give him as much time as possible. And the, uh, the second reason was I wanted to give Rick Hahn as much time as possible to get on somebody else's radar r rather, than, rather than wait till the end of the year. But, but the number one reason was why not give Chris as much time as possible? How would you describe this 2023 season? 2023 season was my 43rd season of baseball. It was absolutely the worst season I've ever been through. It was a nightmare. It's still a nightmare. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. All the bad words you could think of is the way I feel about the 2023 season. Absolutely, it was just, just awful. Why do you think it went this way? Well, it's hard to say, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but in the beginning of the year, we had a lot of injuries. We, got, we had a lot of injuries. And, and we also, you know, we were, if you go back game by game, we were one hit away from maybe winning another dozen games. Uh, so it wasn't that, we, we really, it wasn't that bad, but somewhere along the way, it just spiraled out of control. Uh, some of it was, some of it was the, uh, uh, the clubhouse. And I, and I think that we've corrected that. Um, and so, some of it was some of it was was bad luck. Some of it was just people not playing up to, to their potential. But it, it it was a nightmare. This this season was absolutely uh, a nightmare. I know the uh, manager doesn't deserve as much credit as he gets when they're winning or as much blame when they're losing. But with that said, and this is for you and Chris, I mean, will Pedro be back next year? Is that still being evaluated or Chris's call? That'll be Chris's call. When you get a chance to talk to him, you can ask him that question. Okay. What are your expectations in terms of how quickly it can go from a nightmare that you've had this year to what you want it to be? Well, I, I don't want to make predictions, but in this division, and with the core of talent that we have, I would hope and I expect that it'll get the next year will be a lot better than this year. But you know, how much better? I don't know. But you, you look look at the core of this team, and 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 if, and if we can get them all on the field, and you know, and one one of the things that we're we're doing this year. It's a little different. You know, every year we send players home with a, with a plan. This is what you got to do. What we're going to add this year is we're going to police these plans. We're going to make sure that the players are following their plans. So when they come to spring training, they're 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 ready. We're not going to take their word that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So you know, given the division and given that we have a, a really good core of players, I would expect next year will be better. Are you going to be committed to uh, spending what it needs? be spent for pitching that you don't have in the organization? Well, you know, we've already spent a, lot, we spent a lot of money this year. People talk about, why won't the White Sox spend? I think we had a payroll of $185 million this year. So, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do what Chris thinks that we ought to do that, that will make us better. I mean, look, we're not going to be in the Otani race. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But... Uh, and, and we're not going, you know, and, and we're not going to sign pitchers to ten-year deals. But we're going to try to get better, and that means trades. It, mean, it potentially means free agents. It, it means playing, you know, smarter baseball. It means a lot of things. So we're going, you know, I don't have a lot of time left. I, I don't want, I don't want to go through a long rebuild. I, I only expect time. to be here another ten years. And I want to. You said that ten years ago. I know. <laughs> it's so, a, so there's no rebuild. I mean, this is hmm? kind of. There's no rebuild. This is you're just gonna I, try I, to well, add what you got. Well, you know, everybody talks about when you build a building, the foundation comes first. We got a foundation here. 
So uh, we're, we're not going to take the guys that we have now and just clean out and start over again. We're definitely not going to do that. You felt the need to make a change. Folks from the outside see that Chris has been here the last seven years. What about him makes this a change from, from the guys who were previously in his, in his spot? Well, he, he has his own ideas about what, you know, what, needs, to, what needs to be done. Uh, Chris has been responsible for the minor leagues. He hasn't been responsible for the major leagues. And, he, and, and, and by the way, his job invo involved taking players who were handed to him and making them better. He had no responsibility in acquiring the players that he had to work with. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's been kind of quiet, but we made, we made a change in the scouting director a few years ago because we felt that we weren't, you know, we weren't through the draft. We weren't getting the players that we wanted to get. We made a change a few years ago. Those players that have been coming in under this new scouting director are an awful lot better than we'd seen in the, in the past. But but they're at they're that most of them are at lower levels. Although I think we have some we have some pretty good stuff at you know at, at, at the upper levels that are not that far away. But I, I you know I heard on some telecast or podcast or something that I inadvertently watched that the, yeah, the White Sox farm system wasn't ra highly rated. First of all, we have produced a lot of players to the big leagues that came through the farm system. I mean, so y y y that's one way that you that, you know you evaluate a farm system is, is it, has it been producing has it been producing players and it has. But but the quality of players that have come in in the last few years are pretty darn good. And uh, you know, so I I think the, the future looks good. There's White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf on Thursday. Let's pause 10 seconds for stations to identify themselves. This is Chicago White Sox baseball. From the ballpark to the old National Bank State Street studio to you, WMVP, WSHE, HD2, Chicago. Sox fans, 2024 ticket plans are available now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as ticket exchange programs, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. I'm Jeff Meller on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Plenty more to come here on White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. Connor's on the call along with Darren Jackson of White Sox Tigers at guaranteed rate tonight. First pitch coming your way at 6.10. We'll have your pregame coverage at 5.30. Join us on Saturday, September 16th for a halfway to St. Patrick's Day Sox crawl presented by Miller Lite. Get exclusive entry into the stadium for a pregame crawl starting at 2.30 before the Sox take on the Twins. This crawl features food and beverage, happy hour specials, an Irish White Sox cap, Southside Irish jersey, and more. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash crawl. All right, here's more from the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry, what is it about the way you mentioned that you like what you've seen in the farm system, the way that things are being done? What are some of those things that, that, you, that you like or are impressed well, by? Well, what I like is players... Are being taught how to play baseball. How to play, how to play baseball. You know, one of my favorite players over the you know, over the last ten or twenty years was David Eckstein. David Eckstein couldn't run. He couldn't hit. He couldn't throw. He couldn't field. There's only one thing that he ever did, and that was beat you. And that's what we're trying to develop in the, in the minor leagues. 
and I, and I stole that from Brent Ricky. He said that about Eddie Stanky. But the, but 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 the, but that's that that's what we're looking for. Players who who don't beat themselves, who don't beat themselves, who get the most out of their ability, and let the other team beat themselves. And what, what Chris has been doing over the last seven years in the minor leagues is educating players as to what to do. What do you do? You know, when you're when you're out there in the field. At third base, what, what what should be going through your mind? What am I going to do if the ball hit to me? What am I going to do if the ball hit to my left? What the, am I going to do if the ball hit to my right? What's, what am I going to do if the ball hits it directly to me? When you watch baseball games, you see very few players you can tell are, are doing that, that they're thinking about that. Well, he's been teaching that kind of stuff. He's been teaching uh, uh, players who are on first base to be looking at the outfielders and seeing where they're playing, to know what their arms are. That's, that's the type of thing, to play smart. It's good to see uh, Tony's healthy, obviously. Um, what is his involvement, if any, in the organization right now? It's, 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 I'm glad you brought up Tony LaRusso. Uh, I am so sick and tired of reading that bringing Tony LaRusso back was a mistake. Tony LaRusso came back in 2021. Does anybody know what we did in 2021? Does anybody remember we won 93 games? We won the, the division by 13 games? Well, was that a mistake to bring Tony La Russa back? Last year he was sick. The man had a heart problem. He had cancer. I mean, you didn't see the Tony La Russa last year that we saw before that. Remember, this guy has won as a manager more games than any other manager in the history of baseball who had an over 500 record. Connie Mack had won more games, but he also lost more games than anybody. And he was the owner of the team. He was like me. He couldn't be fired. But... So, so, so I, I, I reject the idea that it was a mistake to bring Tony Larusa back. We won a division with Tony Larusa. Now, with respect to this involvement, Tony had nothing to do with the decision to fire Rick or Kenny. Not once did he ever say to me, "You ought to get rid of these guys." Now, I did ask him, as I asked a lot of other people, "Give me some names." You know, give me some names. As I was, as I was building my my list, but Tony wasn't. He. he the, the only way Tony found out that Chris was going to be the manager was I told him. He was not, he was not involved in the process. Now, going forward, Tony has, will not have any decision-making authority in the organization. But he's a tremendous asset. He's a tremendous asset. So if Chris wants to talk to him or Pedro wants to talk to him, they can talk to him. If they don't want to talk to him, they don't have to talk to him. To him, they, or, or or if they do talk to him and he makes a suggestion, they can follow it or they cannot follow it, whatever they want. But it would be stupid not to have this man available to Pedro and to and to Chris if he's willing to be available, and he is. You've always said, "Don't make a tough decision unless you really have to mm -hmm. and think it out." At what point uh, did you get to that uh, thinking? on Kenny and Rick and was it a collective? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by collective. collective. In other words, did you lose confidence in both at the same point? Well, I, I made the decision a couple of days before we announced it, but I, but I spent a month thinking about it and talking to people inside and outside the organization. And I considered, very, I considered you know, a variety of alternatives. You know, one alternative was to do nothing. Another was was to keep Kenny and let Rick go. Another was to keep Rick and let Kenny go. And another was to let them both go. And I came to the conclusion that it would be better to let you know to let them both go and have a, and have a fresh start.
was the dual decision making process a problem there? I mean, they seemed to work decently together, but was that a problem that you saw in the Well, letter? I think they worked decently together. I, I believe, and I did believe, I still believe, that if I had kept them in place, that they had the capability to rebuild the organization. But one of the things that a number of people told me was that you may believe that, but the record's the record. And, you got, and, and, and I was urged to make a decision by quite a number of people just based on the record. I, I still think they could have brought it back, but all right, the record's the record, and the best thing to do is to, to, you know, to, to start fresh. Although it's not a complete fresh, because we still have an awful lot of people that are here that I expect that you know, Chris will keep and some that he will not keep. Do more uh, resources need to be devoted to farm system and player development and scouting and uh, all the things that are available now to, to minor league operations? Do you I don't think that? there's anything, any resources that are not available to them. Chris, Chris, may, no, Chris has had sole responsibility for who works in the minor leagues, so it'll be up to him if he wants to tinker with it. Uh, you know, I, I, I think one thing we, we should be doing, though, is, you know, there were a lot of scouts that were let go over the last few years by organizations that are analytics driven. And we ought to take a look and see if there's if there's some gems out there that we could add to our scouting staff. Uh, since, uh, if I could switch gears for a minute, there was an article that came out recently about the future of this ballpark, about whether or not you guys will stay beyond, that, beyond the lease. Uh, can you add anything about what your perspective is? I know there's still another six years or something well, left on it. First of all, somebody at Cranes decided that he wanted to write that the White that you're looking at the Bears with the White Sox lease, you know, has six or seven years left to go, and the White Sox have some options, and they might move out of the city, they might move out of town, they might go to Nashville. That wasn't us. That was a guy at Cranes. Now, ever since the article came out, well, I've been reading about that, I've been threatening to move the team to Nashville. I mean, that, that, that article didn't come from me. But it's obvious if we have six years left, I think that's what it is. So there you go. There is White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, in the final answer there, you hear him addressing the report from Cranes about the idea that the White Sox would entertain the notion of leaving the city for Nashville. Obviously, he rejected that wholeheartedly and went on to talk about how the Sox, of course, have to renegotiate uh, a new deal for guaranteed rate, which is up in about six years. So at that point, obviously, they need to start the discussions about what they want to do as to where they'll be located in the future. But again, Nashville is not something that Jerry Reinsdorf ever, ever talked about. So you heard him say that amongst amongst, amongst a bunch of other stuff as well regarding Chris Getz and the future of the White Sox franchise going forward. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today here on White Sox Weekly. Connor's on the call along with Darren Jackson of White Sox Tigers, which will be coming your way. 6-10 first pitch here at guaranteed rate. 5-30 pregame. I'll be on that for you and the post as well. Sox fans, the exclusive documentary, Fitted, Fitted in Black, How Hip Hop Fueled the Greatest Rebrands in Sports, presented by New Era, is here. Fitted in Black tells the story of how the White Sox ball cap became an iconic symbol in hip-hop culture. Head to whitesox.com slash fittedinblack to watch today. I highly recommend it. If you're like me, a kid who grew up in the 90s, you, I promise you, will absolutely love it. So check it out. Again, I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor's on, on the way about 6 o'clock with Darren Jackson as we bring you White Sox Tigers baseball. Will we see some history tonight? What do I mean? Well, I'll tell you next when we return on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. 
Ground ball up the middle. There it is. He's tied George Brett. Second hit of the night for Cabrera. And career hit number 3,154. That is correct. That highlight courtesy of Valley Sports Detroit's Miguel Cabrera with a couple of hits last night. Tied George Brett's on the all-time list for Major League Baseball with 3,154, as I mentioned, 18th. I'm sorry, 17th. He was an 18th. He's moved into a tie with George Brett for 17th place in Major League Baseball history. So the next hit for Miguel Cabrera will move him into sole possession of 16th place on the all-time list. So there's a possibility you could be seeing history tonight at Guaranteed Rate Field if you want to get over. Still time to check out the White Sox and Tigers and potentially see an all-time great do some all-time great things. He's also, he being Miguel Cabrera, one home run shy of tying 25th in Major League Baseball history. He's currently got 510 career home runs. Mel Ott sits uh, in... 25th place with 511, and uh, Miguel Cabrera, two doubles shy of tying 13th all-time for with Hank Aaron, which is 624 doubles. McGee is two extra base hits shy of tying 14th in Major League Baseball history. That's Adrian Beltre, who has 1,151 extra base hits, and um, one home run shy of tying the second all-time list in Tigers history, Norm Cash has 373 career home runs for the Tigers. Of course, McGee started his career with the then Florida Marlins, now, of course, known as the Miami Marlins. So, Miggy in the lineup DHing for the Tigers tonight. I'll give you the full starting lineup coming your way on the pregame show, which starts in about five minutes from now. I'm Jeff Meller, in for Connor McKnight today. Thanks to our executive producer, Brendan Riley of White Sox Baseball. Thanks to Jake Cantu as well for spinning the dials back at the shop. Thanks to Scott Merkin for hopping on as well. Hope you enjoyed this edition of White Sox Weekly. Plenty more to come. Pre-game coverage starting at 5.30. First pitch coming your way at 6.10. Right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. <laughs>